Um, today's passage is from Second uh, Corinthians chapter one, verses one through eleven. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the church of God that is in Corinth, with all the saints who are in the whole of Achaia. Grace to you and peace from God, our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort which we, are, which we ourselves are comforted by God. For as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. If we're afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. And if we're comforted, it is for your comfort, which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings that we suffer. Our hope for you is unshaken. For we know that as you share in our sufferings, you will also share in our comfort. For we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. But that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He delivered us from such a deadly peril, and, we, and he will deliver us. On him we have set our hope that he will deliver us again. You also must help us by prayer, that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessings granted us through the prayers of many. Amen. Okay, so we are starting, as he had said, we are starting our uh, new series in Paul's uh, second letter to the church at Corinth. And I, I'm sure you have heard of the second child syndrome. Okay, anyone heard of that? Second child syndrome, I'll give you a potted history. The first child in a family, they are the first child. Okay, so they get all the privileges and all the responsibilities of being the eldest. The third child, Okay, they're the baby in the family, aren't they? And everyone loves them. Everyone loves the baby. So they get all the free passes. They get all the indulgences that go with being the youngest. But the second child, the second child's the second child. They're left out, neglected, forgotten. Okay, anyone here a second child? Yeah. Yeah, I share your pain, yeah. Okay, everyone knows 1 Corinthians because it's got that love passage in it, hasn't it? You know, 1 Corinthians 13 that everyone has at their wedding. It's about spiritual gifts. It's about the controversy, controversial stuff like head coverings and women. And it's got sex in it. So everyone knows 1 Corinthians, but 2 Corinthians or 2 Peter or 2 John, okay, they're like the neglected second child. Okay, so over the next few months, we are going to put that right. A few months back, we looked at 1 Corinthians, now in honour of second children everywhere. Okay, we are going to do 2 Corinthians. And if you know this book, this letter, it is probably, I think arguably, Paul's most emotional letter. The one where he is seemingly most emotionally engaged with it. And because you get to see, as you read this, you get to see into his heart and into something of his inner turmoil. 
is he experiences and expresses the whole range of emotions. I mean, he goes from hope and confidence and joy in these people there in Corinth all the way down to the valley of hurt and the rejection that he feels and he expresses. And Paul feels hurt okay, for a reason. Okay, there are people in the church in Corinth who have been attacking and undermining him. He's not a leader. He's not qualified to be a leader. He's not got the qualities. He's not got the vision. He's, he's, he's got nothing that makes him stand out as a leader. He's too simple. I mean, man, he can't even string his words together. He can't make his mind up about stuff. And he's theologically weak, to say nothing of being physically unattractive. It should be us who are leading you, not him. And tragically, there is at least a portion of the church who are listening to that. As one commentator said, Corinth was Paul's most demanding of church plants. He planted it around 52 AD, spent about a year and a half in Corinth. Two years later, he's moved back to Ephesus, from which he writes 1 Corinthians to them. Shortly after that, shortly after writing the letter, he visits them again, clearly hoping to sort out some kind of disciplinary issue in the church there. But the visit was disastrous. In fact, in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 1, which we look at in a couple of weeks, he calls it a painful visit, and the church is in open rebellion against him. So he withdraws, eventually gets back to Ephesus, where Paul writes another letter to them, warning them, guys, you need to repent. And it, you know, by his own admission, it was a heavy letter. He, he says he wrote it in anguish and tears, and he sent it back to Corinth with Titus. Okay, sadly, interestingly, that letter has been lost to history, so we don't know what was in it. But it seems like the majority of the church in Corinth heard it. They heard its message, and they repented. Okay, but not everyone. And Paul is now in Macedonia, and from Macedonia, he writes this letter, 2 Corinthians, to them. So the background to this letter is conflict. And it's because conflict is the background that Paul talks about Christian character and Christian leadership, and that God works not through men's power, not through grandiose visions, not through charismatic leaders, but through human weakness. And that, if you think about it, okay, that is countercultural today, but it was no less countercultural back in Paul's day because Corinth was the place to be. I mean, we looked at this when we uh, looked at 1 Corinthians, but Athens, Athens was the sleepy university city, but Corinth, Corinth is this vibrant, go get it, grab hold of life, entrepreneurial center of east, west, north, south, international trade. 
And if Lausanne is the home of the International Olympic Committee and FIFA and UEFA or whatever, okay, Corinth was home to the biannual Isthmian Games. So this city hummed with competition and self-promotion and prosperity because if you wanted to make it in life, you went to Corinth. Think about that. If that is the culture that you swim in every day, Monday to Saturday, what is the culture that you are going to bring into church on a Sunday morning? You're going to think that the Christian life should also be marked by success and prosperity, and that Christian leadership should be entrepreneurial and self-promoting. Paul knew that the reality in Christ is very different. Okay, first point then, the reality of suffering. Okay, now, I want you, if you've got your Bible in front of you, if you haven't looked at the screen, okay, just look at the number of times in this opening passage that Paul mentions suffering and affliction. It goes... Affliction, affliction, sufferings, afflicted, suffering, sufferings, affliction, utterly burdened, despair, sentence of death. And the word that Paul uses for affliction is a word that means pressure, a burden, a weight to be borne, something press, stress pressing down on you. Okay, you, you don't need to be the Apostle Paul, to have experienced that, do you? Just this week, literally as I was writing uh, this paragraph of this message, an email from an old friend pinged into my inbox. And in it, she describes how she is just worn out from her work. She's tired and weary. And how the constant demands and the expectations and the pressure has just been weighing on her so much, particularly over the last 18 months. And as a result, she's leaving. Okay, work pressure can do that to you, can't it? If you're in a high-pressure job, or even if, you're, even if you're not, you can lie in bed at night and you've just got these thoughts whirring around inside your head. Or think of the pressure of being a parent. You're trying to raise a family or kids. You're trying to be a good parent. You're trying to do things right. But it's hard, isn't it? You know, I speak from experience. Being a parent is hard. And you can feel the weight of that. Or there is the inner burden of relationships and relationships that are, that are going wrong. Okay, and that's, that's a good part of what Paul is experiencing here. You know, maybe someone you care about has made some pretty bad decisions, and that, that is not just impacting you, it is hurting you. Okay, and you feel that on the inside, and it weighs heavy. Or maybe you feel and face the pressure and the consequences of choosing to live a life of integrity. Some of you have lost your jobs because of that. Maybe you lose your friends. James and John, two of uh, Jesus' disciples, once asked Jesus if they could sit at his right hand and his left hand when he comes into his kingdom. Okay, why? They want the top seats, don't they? They want the best seats. That's how they conceive of leadership. We want to be in those prominent places up there. Jesus' response 
Are you able to drink the cup that I drink? The cup of suffering. Sure they go. Jesus says, the cup that I drink, you will drink. Why? Because suffering is just a normal part of being a Christian. Paul wrote to Timothy, indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Because there is just going to be this clash of cultures. There's just going to be this clash of allegiances. The king that you serve is going to be different from the king that the world out there serves. So when, like Paul, the pressure you are under or the inner burden that you feel or the affliction that you are facing is because you are a Christian, because you are identifying with Christ in a culture or a workplace or a family or a friendship group who doesn't identify with him, Paul says in verse 5 here, we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings. Okay, but listen, Paul does not want us to get all romantic or misty-eyed about that. As he looks back at his time in Ephesus, he says, verse 8, We do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt we had received the sentence of death. Have you ever felt that burdened? I suspect some of you have, actually. I suspect many of us have. That sense of being burdened to the point of breaking, or that sense of being stretched to the point of breaking, or that feeling of just being burnt out. Okay. You know, sometimes when you're in pain... We used to use this sort of thing in paediatrics. I think you use it in, with adults as well. If you're in pain, a nurse might ask you, on a scale of 1 to 10, how bad is it? And you go, oh, it's pretty bad, maybe a 6 or a 7. Okay, if you had asked Paul, looking back at his time in Ephesus, Paul, on a scale of 1 to 10, how bad is the pressure there? A 7? He would have said, a seven, try doubling that. Try 14, it is off the scale. He felt burdened beyond breaking point because at Ephesus he had faced individuals and mobs attacking him verbally, legally, and physically. And that just takes an emotional toll, doesn't it? If you are constantly being attacked, it just wears you down. And Paul says that he felt like he had received the death sentence. That this time, he was not going to come through it. Okay, have you ever experienced that? Okay, where you feel like there is no light at the end of the tunnel. You feel so broken. Maybe in your marriage, maybe in some relationship, maybe in your health. You feel so broken. You feel so empty that you cannot see a way through and despair begins to come in. You see, this kind of affliction is an assault on our sense of, I can do this, isn't it? Because soul-crushing pressure and stress is exactly that. It is soul-crushing. 
And Ephesus had pushed Paul to the point of breaking and beyond. And now he has to deal with Corinth as well and the attacks that are coming from there. And he's carrying the burden of his concern for the church there. Okay, how are you supposed to deal with that? Okay, how are you supposed to deal with that kind of pressure? How are you supposed to keep standing, keep serving, keep giving, keep loving when you feel emotionally spent? Let's look how Paul does it. Second point, the God you can know. The God you can know. Okay, verse one. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and that is not a throwaway line. Okay, if you know what comes next in the, in the next parts of the letter, what an apostle looked like, whether Paul was even an apostle. Okay, those are some of the key issues in the church. So when Paul says an apostle of Christ Jesus, that is not a throwaway line. An apostle simply means someone who is sent as an official representative. Okay, so when Paul writes, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, he is saying, I am writing to you as one sent by Christ Jesus as his official representative. And then he adds, by the will of God. Okay, you see, Paul knows that his life and his ministry, his identity, do not ultimately depend on his abilities or what other people think of him. When he is attacked and hurt and feeling the weight of all of this pressing down on him, the thing that gave him the strength to keep standing and not to buckle was, hey, God has called me. God has chosen me to do this. It is God who has put me here. I am here by his will, and his will is sovereign over everything because he is sovereign over everything. Now, you may or may not have a sense that God has called you to the role or the place where you are now, but you can be certain that you are where you are because that is where God has put you at this time. And when the circumstances of your life or the behavior of other people call into question your work or your value or even your identity, if you are a Christian, you can know that you have been chosen and called by God not to be an apostle, but as his child. Not because you are so gifted, but because God, your heavenly father, is so gracious. And you can face the pressure of what you are facing now or in the future, not because you are so strong, but because God is sovereign over everything. Look at verse three. 
Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the God, sorry, the Father of mercies. Okay, Paul has been through one of the most difficult, testing, and trying periods of his life in Ephesus, a period where he has felt totally overwhelmed. What does he do? He blesses God. How can he do that? Because here it said he's God-focused. Because he takes out his binoculars. He doesn't, interesting, he doesn't look at his blessings. He looks first at God. Because his God is simply bigger than anyone or anything else. When you know that, that is how sorrow becomes joy. That is how despair becomes hope. That is how feeling like you are going to give up becomes holding fast. Because God is sovereign. Okay, but he's not just sovereign. He is also a father. He's the father of our Lord Jesus Christ, Paul says. And it's because the Lord Jesus was and is the Son of God, the Son who gives his life for us, that his Father becomes our Father, the Father of all mercies, the Father who Paul and you and I can know holds us in his loving, merciful hands whatever the pressure is that we're under. And when you have a father, you also have a family. Just go back up to verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother. Paul was no Lone Ranger Christian, was he? Okay, not for him the kind of attitude, I'm not into this church thing. You know, I can worship God just as well out there in nature. I can meet God on my own. Okay, Paul keeps going when he feels like he can't go any longer because he's got community, because he's got family, because he's got a Christian brother, Timothy, standing beside him. And if we are to stand when we're feeling crushed, we need that too. And so does the person sat next to you. You don't just come to church for yourself. You come for the person you're sat next to. The problem is, at the time when you're going through it, you can feel like you want the opposite, can't you? You can feel broken to the point of just wanting to withdraw. And maybe you go to church, you come to church, maybe you go to home group and someone says something clumsy or the sermon or the study is uninspiring and frankly you would just rather be alone. Okay, so look how Paul describes the church at Corinth, verse 1. To the church of God that is at Corinth with all the saints who are in the whole of Achaia, this church is about as messed up as it is possible for a church to be. And they had hurt Paul about as much as a church could. But despite all of their faults, Paul knew that these people, they're God's people, they're saints. Not in the, oh, she's so good She's practically perfect in every way. 
but saints in that set apart for God by set apart by God for himself kind of way and if God doesn't give up on them Paul's not going to give up on them either and the dangers are real if you do okay, if you give up on Christian community the dangers are real I mean you know I don't know what your personal YouTube rabbit warren videos are. Mine are ski fails and those sort of nature videos. Which, which is the antelope who always gets taken out by the lion? It's the one who gets separated from the herd, isn't it? And you are just easier picking if you get separated from the flock. So especially when you are down, don't withdraw. Surround yourself with brothers and sisters who will help you stand. Okay, so God is sovereign and he is our father. But verse three again, he is also the God of all comfort. Now, when a, when a child is young, they'll often have a comforter, won't they? You know, some kind, something you give them to cuddle when they're upset or to help them uh, go to sleep. Okay, our girls, Naomi had wakey rabbit. Okay, that's a stuffed rabbit. Hannah had baba baba ah, which was a stuffed dog. Katie had little Ted, which was a little stuffed Ted. And Lydia had vomit cloth, okay, <laughs> which was a vomit cloth. And if they needed comforting, you would just give them the comforter and they'd sort of loll off to sleep or stop crying. Okay, that is not the kind of comfort that Paul is talking about here. God is not into stuffed toys. Well, he is, but you know what I mean. Okay? When Paul says, verses 3 to 4, that God is the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction, he uses the word for encouragement. Okay, it is the same word that Jesus uses for the Holy Spirit when he says, I'll send you another comforter. I'll send you another counsellor. I'll send you another one to come and stand beside you. So God's comfort is not a sedative. God's comfort is not a blanket. God's comfort is not a stuffed toy. God's comfort is not a spiritual benzodiazepine. It is something that stiffens your resolve, that makes you feel strength coming back into you. That even though you are bloodied and bruised, you get back up and you get back into the fight. It's the encouragement that gives you courage. I should have shown a picture of this, but you know the Bayer Tapestry that represents when the French invaded the English, the one battle they won against us? <laughs> okay, there's a great line, there's a great scene in that, which is... And the writing underneath says, Bishop Odo comforts his troops. Bishop Odo is on a horse with a big stick in his hand, comforting his troops, encouraging them, get back in the battle. That's the kind of comfort that Paul is talking about, the comfort that steals our resolve to get back in the fight. So I heard an interview uh, last week, uh, the guy being interviewed was an American and he was being asked about the situation in Afghanistan as the situation was deteriorating, it's probably the week before actually, 
and President Biden had not yet made a statement. And the person interviewed said, I just want to hear from the commander in chief. I just want to know that he's got this covered. God is the God of all comfort because he is the comforter, the encourager in chief, the courage giver in chief. And he has got your situation covered. And Paul knew that by deep personal experience, verse 5. For as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. Listen, if you're not yet a Christian, you can conceive of God as being distant and withdrawn and unengaged. That is not the God of the Bible. The God who Paul knew, the God who you can know, is the God who matches every affliction, every suffering, with an overflow of his comfort. How can you experience that? How can you know that by experience? Okay, look what Paul says in verse 5. So through Christ, we share abundantly in comfort. You see, through Jesus' suffering and affliction at the cross, he has borne our greatest burden, the weight of our sin, and he has opened the way to the Father. The Father of what? The Father of all mercies and God of all comfort. And when you know that Christ loves you so much, he would die for you, even though you could never deserve it, it tells you, even in this pressure, he has got me safe. And as you grasp that, affliction and suffering can become something that does something incredibly positive in your life. Last point then, the God you can trust. You see, when you know that God is sovereign and he's your father, and he is the courage giver in chief. You can trust him that he has a purpose for the pressure that you are under. A purpose first for others and then for you. Okay, look at verse 4. He comforts us in all our afflictions so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort which, with which we ourselves are comforted by God. Now, when you are going through something heavy, okay, you can struggle to understand why is God letting, what is, why, why is he letting this happen? What is he trying to achieve in my life through this? And you can, you know, we can all struggle to understand that sometimes. What you can know for certain is what he is wanting to achieve through, through your life in the lives of others because as you experience God's comfort and courage to stay in the fight you are going to have this well to draw on to comfort and encourage others when they go through it I mean when Naomi went off to um, serve in the refugee camp as Sue and I hugged her goodbye we said hey Naomi we are blessed to be a blessing and hey, I know that's a cliche. It also happens to be true, doesn't it? You and I have been hugely blessed. We have been entrusted with much. 
What for? So that we live lives of leisure? No. So that we can be a blessing to others. But that is still true even when life is not leisured and you are going through times of serious pressure. Because, Paul says, we are comforted to be a comforter. We suffer that we might help the suffering. Because that's what our Lord and Master did. That's what Jesus did. So that through us, Christ's comfort might flow to others as it did through Paul. Verse 6, if we are afflicted, it's for your comfort and salvation. And if we are comforted, it is for your comfort. I mean, think about it. Think about support groups. You know, think about support groups for patients, for the bereaved or for the abused. Why are they so often manned by people who have gone through those things for themselves? Because when you have suffered, you just have compassion and sympathy for those who are suffering, don't you? And you've got wisdom. And those who are suffering know that that sympathy and wisdom, they're not theoretical. They know that you have walked this path. And if I were to ask you, have you ever been inspired or encouraged by the example of someone who has gone through something really hard, but they have gone through it with poise and dignity and faith? Most of us, probably all of us would say, sure, I can name this person. So listen, the qualification for Christian service is not that you go from one triumph to another. It is that you and I have suffered and experienced God's comfort. It's why Paul says to these Corinthians, verse 7, Our hope for you is unshaken, for we know that as you share in our sufferings, you will also share in our comfort. Because, guys, if true Christianity is marked by suffering, it is also marked by an unshakable hope that God has a purpose in pressure. And not just for those you're going to help in the future, but now for you, for me, as we go through the midst of it. Verses 8 and 9. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired even of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death, but that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. You see, God allows you to feel physically or emotionally weak so that you can grow spiritually strong. Because it's when you feel helpless that you turn to the one who can help. It's when you feel unable that you turn to the one who is able. It's when you are brought to the end of yourself that you find the one beyond yourself and it was staring death in the face that taught Paul in a far deeper way to rely on the one who brings life out of death the writer Dorothy says English writer Dorothy says she spoke about living through the second world war and how a superficial faith was fine in the good times but she says when you are sat in a bomb shelter, 
with your gas mask in your hand and bombers going overhead, fear comes in and fear says, or fear sits down beside you. What, fear demands rather disagreeably, do you make of all this? What do you believe? Is your faith a comfort to you under the present circumstances? And Paul would say, yes, absolutely, because my faith is in the God of resurrection power. And you and I can say, yes, absolutely, because our faith, we are relying on the God who through all of history has been making the impossible possible. And barren women give birth and a boy slays a giant, and men escape the flames, and lions' mouths are shut. Why? Because God is always bringing life out of death, because he is the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, raised from the dead. As John Chrysostom, the fourth century church father said, when you believe in this God, Resurrection happens every day. So church, when you are embattled and everything seems lost, trust him. He has a purpose for others in what you are going through so that you can encourage them when they're going through it. But he also has a purpose for you. As Paul says in verse 10, on him we have set our hope. Let's pray together.